Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I mentioned in an earlier broadcast that I have been reading a new book by Reverend Billy Graham entitled Nearing Home. I spotted the book when we visited the Billy Graham Library in North Carolina earlier this year. I guess it appealed to me because I noticed that it was written by Mr. Graham with reference to a stage of life and to provide insights and advice and even some measure of comfort for people who themselves are nearing the end of their lives, who are growing old, in other words. I also hoped that it would reveal some of Mr. Graham's insights into what heaven has in store for those who are Christians. I have not been disappointed. The book is filled with real-life examples and insights and relevant scriptures that have to do with preparing us for what we might expect as we advance in our years. Not only for us, who are indeed growing older, but also for those who must attend to our needs as we do gain those years and grow older. It is just what I thought and I hoped it would be. Actually, as you can sense, I have found a lot of things in this book that I can relate with, having found the same things true as I, too, have aged. One of the examples in the book makes reference to something Mrs. Graham said before she passed on. They had been driving, Mr. Graham says, along a highway in North Carolina and came upon a few miles of highway construction. Warning signs, caution signs, and barricades all over. After they had driven a few miles, they came to the end of the construction, where they encountered a sign that said simply, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Well, with a smile on her face, when they arrived at their destination, Mrs. Graham apparently announced that these were the words that she wanted to be put on her gravestone when she died. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. It was a truth that she thought was important enough to proclaim her final testimony when the Lord had called her home.
end of construction, thank you for your patience. We are a work in progress, all of us, Christians and non-Christians alike. We are constantly learning, growing, changing with new information and challenges. For the child of God, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, whose assistance we have in order to fulfill our charge to be growing more like our Lord every day. That is a real showstopper, isn't it? Do we take a moment each day to review our achievement in this regard? Are we more like Jesus today than we were yesterday? I'm reminded of a song that the young people sometimes sing that speaks to this theme. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge him yet. There's an unfinished part, but I'll be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hands. In the mirror of his word, reflections that I see makes me wonder why he never gave up on me. But he loves me as I am and helps me when I pray. Remember, he's the potter. I'm the clay. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me.
And now with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our last broadcast, we considered the seven beatitude and emphasized that in keeping with Jesus' profile of a true disciple, as described in the Beatitudes, a true disciple is a believer who is committed to making peace between both God and man, and man and man. We also pointed out that in actual fact, Jesus' description of a true disciple is a believer who is like him, Christ-like, in every aspect of his life, his attitude, his motivation, and behavior, the totality of one's being and personality. This is described in detail in the Beatitudes as recorded in Matthew chapter 5. The final Beatitude tells us what is the result of that kind of lifestyle, of being a true disciple, of being Christ-like in our lifestyle. I believe that as Christians we all pray to be Christ-like, don't we? But I wonder how many of us would really pray that prayer if we understood what it truly means to be Christian. Now notice, I said to be Christian, not to be a Christian. I emphasize this and make this distinction because the term Christian has become so diluted and compromised today that almost everyone in our hemisphere actually classify themselves as being a Christian. To be Christian, however, means to be a Christ-like person, not merely a churchgoer. Now, usually when we think of Christ-likeness, we think of love and gentleness and kindness and compassion, patience, and so on through a host of positive virtues and characteristics, don't we? We think of positive attitudes and loving action and responses to our Christian life. Very rarely do we think of negative responses to our being a true Christian or living a true Christian lifestyle. We believe it will be accepted by everybody and applauded. But according to the founder, the originator, and the perfect model of Christianity, the results and responses to a Christ-like life is a part of the composite and profile of a true believer. And the Beatitudes are just that, a composite of a genuine believer in Christ. Very important for us to see that, because that is why this final Beatitude is perhaps the most significant of all the traits of a believer given in the passage by Jesus. It is the ultimate mark, the benchmark of a person who is truly Christ-like in his or her life. And what is this cultivating mark? Is it love? Is it patience? Is it forgiveness? No, my friends, it is persecution. Now, all of the other traits are part of being a believer. But what Jesus is saying here is that as far as the unsaved world is concerned, the result of exhibiting such traits will be persecution not applause. It'll be opposition, not support. It'll be rejection, not acceptance. Think of Jesus himself. He lived the perfect Christ-like life. He was Christ. What was the result? Very few accepted him. The majority rejected him. They ridiculed him. They persecuted him. They hated him, and they finally killed him. Exactly what many are doing to believers around the world today. This is the concept that is taught in this Beatitudes by Jesus, my friends. To live like Christ is to suffer like Christ. Now, we don't preach this today, do we? Much less do we practice it. 
Rather, we have projected the idea that to be a successful Christian is to be accepted and sought after by the world. Church membership has become a mark of dignity and pride, almost a status symbol, rather than being an indication of someone who has committed him or herself to living like did the spies rejected leader. Jesus is saying that the true way to measure our Christ-likeness is not how many souls have you led to him, although we must win souls, not how many church services we attend, although we must attend church services, not how much money do you give to the church, although you must give to the church, but Jesus is saying that the ultimate measure is, that is to show what a true disciple is, the ultimate measure is how much are you being persecuted for him? And my friends, I say to you, you must be ready for persecution even in our country in the days ahead. That's why these Beatitudes are so radical in these days of ease and the fulfillment of personal pleasures. They completely upset the status quo idea of Christianity and shows that there's a great deal of difference between Christian and being a Christian in today's understanding of that term. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, first of all, these verses teach that persecution is the authenticating mark of true discipleship. Persecution is the natural result of being a peacemaker. Not all attempts at peacemaking succeeds. We evidence that today in the world scene. Some refuse to be at peace with us, so they revile, they slander, they oppose, and they kill Christians. Persecution is placed as the cultivation of the Beatitudes, as I have mentioned. It both rounds off and cultivates the spiritual characteristics of the genuine believer in Christ. Persecution, though, is also the normal experience of a true disciple, a true follower of Christ. Listen again to the words of the Master in John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Listen also to Paul in Philippians 1.29. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not may, but shall suffer persecution. So I say to you, Bahamians, as we look around the world and see all the Christians being persecuted, do not think it can never happen here. Because according to the word of God, 
persecution on the part of Christians is not a might, not a if, but a when. But persecution identifies us with Christ in his resurrection power. Paul says that in Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. But Christian persecution is result of a specific cause. Verses 10 says, is for the sake of righteousness. In other words, for doing what is right, living righteously. Verse 11 says, it's because of me. In other words, is for being Christ-like, living like him, standing for who he is and what he has done. Persecution that he's talking about here is not persecution due to our own foolishness, our own lack of wisdom, or our own sin, or our personal prejudice, or our repulsive behavior. No, it is persecution for Christ's sake, not ours. Note carefully, the text specifically states that it comes because believers are falsely accused. I have a personal friend right now who has a ministry amongst the persecuted church, and he has been falsely accused, and he is suffering for Jesus Christ. Peter says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Persecution is the natural result of the clash between two distinctly opposing value systems and worldviews. It's Christ and the world. We cannot live a truly authentic Christian lifestyle and not be opposed by the non-Christian. But now, how are Christians to respond to Christian persecution? Verse 12 tells us, Rejoice and be glad. Literally, it reads, Leap with joy. It doesn't say retaliate or retreat. It says leap with joy. But second, we are to glorify God. Peter even commands that he says, let him glorify. That's a command. But now why should we rejoice? Because persecution for Christ authenticates our salvation. It tells us who we are. It says, this is the kingdom of heaven. We are children of the kingdom. It assures us of heaven. It tells us where we are going. It assures us of a reward when we get we are going for being what we are. Notice what he said, great is your reward in heaven. Again, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trail which is to try you, as though some strange things happen unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. But suffering for Christ, persecution for Christ, also associates us now with those who are already approved of God. The text says, For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we are not to look for persecution and go around with a false modest complex. No, no, no. We are to live for and like Christ. Persecution will look for us, and it will find us if we live like Christ. My friends, that is why we need today to pray not only for ourselves here that this would not come, but to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted for Christ right now. 
So let me ask you then, are you living on the cutting edge of discipleship? Are you experiencing any kind of persecution from any source purely for the sake of Christ? Are you deliberately compromising your convictions to alleviate persecution? Loneliness, for instance, because you refuse to marry an unsafe person? Lack of income, perhaps, because you refuse to be a dishonest person? Ridicule, perhaps, because you don't do what your peers do or go where they go? If you are, the Bible says, our master says, rejoice. Now, I know that's radical, but that's Christ's likeness. I want to close with the words of a hymn. You may know it. It's called, May Christ Be Seen in Me. I believe this should be the prayer of all believers in Christ in these days in which we live, these days of persecution of believers. It is a prayer that asks for Jesus' profile of a true believer as depicted in his Beatitudes to be manifested in the life of the believer. Listen carefully as we close out. It's called, May Christ Be Seen in Me by Lois Dehoff. O Lord, I give myself to Thee, All that I possess, I lay aside my sinful pride and claim thy righteousness. My will lies shattered at thy feet. I pray thy will be done. My only plea to live for thee and magnify thy son. Oh, may I count all gain but loss, save us to thee tis gain. Let me not shun the promised cross, nor shirk to suffer pain. Then lead me, Lord, up Calvary's hill, forth to the cross with thee, and there pour out my life with God, as thou didst, Lord, for me. O humbly, may I serve thee, Lord, as in thy will I tread, and may I live anew in Christ, as risen from the dead. Then closely walking by thy side, may love flow out through me, that those whom thou shalt lead my way may too find life in thee. May Christ be seen in me, O Lord. Hear thou my earnest plea. O take me, fill me, use me, Lord, till Christ be seen in me. My friends, that's the profile of a true disciple. How does it fit you as a professing Christian? As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Selah, think, and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast.
I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and not toiling will be Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again